Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you along with L.A. Marzuli. L.A., back in 2011, Mayan elders, those that are still left here, paid a little visit to the Great Serpent Mound in Adams County, Ohio. Why? You know, what's so interesting about that, they come all the way up here, they're visiting these sites, they know what these sites are. Um, I actually uh, emailed Hunbet's men. He's passed away several years ago, but I opened up a dialogue with him and conversed with him. I still actually have some of the emails. The bottom line is this, George. They knew. They know who created that, and they know what it's about. And when they came here, they were trying, in my opinion, they were trying to open up the gate. They were trying to reactivate these sites. These are highly charged sites, and I believe that they're built I believe that they're Nephilim sites. I believe that, that there's serpent energy, Kundalini serpent power in these sites, and they're not good. A lot of ritualistic stuff happened there, a lot of human sacrifice, blood sacrifice, blood was spilled in these places. Um, they're highly charged areas, and this is why the film Secrets of the Supernatural, Voices from the Abyss, this is what we get into. We delve into it. We show in the film... Um, stuff that happens as we're in and around these mounds, and it's all it's all caught on the camera, which blew me away because we didn't, you know, when we were actually at Geller Hill, um, looking at, at 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 some of this stuff. It was raining, and, and we were with the Newark Paranormal Society, and and Fritz Zimmerman um, had invited them because they wanted to tag along, and I knew nothing about the Newark Paranormal Society or anything else. But these guys were there, and it was kind of misty and raining, and I couldn't fly the drone, and we couldn't film. There's like a forest, really well manicured, right next to Geller Hill. So we walk into this forest, and this woman, Galen, opens up this little ovulus machine, and I didn't know what it was, and she turns it on, and about 30 seconds, 40 seconds go by, and the thing speaks, and it goes, evil. And there's a word there, evil. I go, whoa, what's that? She shows it to me. We walk down uh, under the canopy in, in this little woods. It's very manicured, very beautiful. And we're down about 50 feet, and the thing goes off again and says, which, at this point, and this is all on huh. the film, at this point, I go, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is like, this is, we're looking like a Ouija board here. Yeah. This is necromancy. I can't do this. And on film, I take authority over it, and I go, uh, we forbid you to manifest like this. We cancel your assignment. You will no longer have access. This was seen in the name of Jesus. That's what I say. And then I have Raylan turn off the machine. She turns it on, or she turns it off, rather, and she waits about 15 seconds, and I say, okay, turn it back on. She turns it back on. This is all on film. And all of a sudden, the word is holy. And her face, her jaw drops, hmm. and she just kind of looks like what they never... I talked to the North Paranormal Group after the fact. They had never seen anything like this. And the whole point of the film is, if these are Nephilim sites, this is what Russ Dizdar says in the film, if these are Nephilim sites, if they really are Nephilim sites, then they're highly charged. Then we should expect this type of stuff going on. And that's exactly what we found. And this is what attracted, the, circling back to the Hunbat's men and the Mayan elders, this is what attracted them. They know what this is, and that's why they were there. Arthur, uh, the author Henry Groover had some kind of encounter at the Spirit Mound, too. What happened to him? 
I want to thank Steve Quill real quick because he actually interviewed uh, Henry and let me use the audio tape, and it was fascinating. I had heard about the story uh, from other people, and I had never listened to it. So I finally tracked it down, and, and Rhonda Morgera was helpful in that, and Steve allowed us to use it, and it's in the film. Groover spent a lot of time, and he's still alive, but Groover spent a lot of time going out to these different sites all over the Americas, actually all over the world, and praying against the stronghold. In other words, some of these sites, many of them, are used ritualistically. There are human sacrifices which are done on these sites. There are altars. There's bloodshed. It's it's, and all this is kind of under the radar. Most people don't talk about it. So Gruber's out there doing this stuff, and he's driving home for Thanksgiving, and it's snowing, like about four inches of snow on the ground. And he sees a sign, Serpent Mound. And he says, well, I'll go take care of this one right now. He pulls into the parking lot. I've been there three different times, and there's nobody there. And he walks into the parking lot, looks at the signage, sees that there were giant skeletons found there at one point, and he goes on the serpent mound, goes up to the head, and starts doing his thing. In other words, he's praying, renouncing uh, the, the bloodshed that's happened there, the rituals that happened there. He's taking authority over this, or so he thinks. As he walks back to his van, he's hit with an unknown force, George, completely unknown. And and it's like this thing socks him in the solar plexus. He falls to the ground. It's snowing. There's four inches of snow on the ground. He's doubled up. His his knees are up against his chest and he can't bring them out again. And he's like he's he's struggling to breathe, to move, and he doesn't understand what's going on. And he's praying. Why is this going on? Why is this happening? And at one point, he says this in his testimony. He, he realizes he's going to freeze to death out here. That's right. Jeez. I mean, this is how severe it is. And he prays to the Lord, and the Lord finally goes, Henry, I didn't tell you to come here. I'm going to release you, but the next time you do come, I will tell you when, how long to fast, how long to pray. In other words, look, I've talked to people that were down in Chichen Itza, and I've, I've talked to um, people that have said when they got went up to the pyramid, by the way, they don't let you up to the top anymore. Uh, and well, why not? Dangerous? Yeah, not not so much danger because of what's going on there. People go up there and they they stuff happens to them and they're never quite the same. And I had phone calls and emails from people telling me of their experiences when they got up to the top. Now, some people go up there and nothing happens. I get that. Just like if you go to the Serpent Mound now, um, most likely nothing will happen. We were there. Fritz Zimmerman and I were there. Um, during the, the spring equinox, and there was there was a coven of witches. They know what that place is. They know what happened there. Hunbat's men and the Mayan elders went to the Serpent Mound, and in the film we show a clip when the entire group, and there's hundreds of people there, they're chanting, and it is one of the most eerie things you'll ever hear. Wasn't there a pastor or someone like that who also went to the mound and something demonic happened to him? Did you ever hear of that? He was at a church in Newark or something? Oh, yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. Um, this is this is Pastor Tom Olson, um, who was a Lutheran pastor in Newark. And when he applied for the job, this is years ago, applied for the job, they asked him, well, do, do, you, anything, do you know anything about deliverance? And he said, well, not really, no. Well, they hired him anyway. So pretty soon he's on, he's on board, he's doing his thing, and everything's okay. But he starts getting calls from people who are desperate. Their houses are built on smaller mounds or near mounds mm-hmm. in North Ohio. And 
uh, he goes there, and the people are seeing ghost wolves. Oh, wow. En- entire, what look like ancient villages are appearing and disappearing. In one house, the, um, there was a door to the crawl space. And when you'd open the door, sometimes it would be a crawl space. Other times, there'd be a bottomless pit. And the people, the people who lived there would throw things. This is how crazy it is. Throw things and never hear the object hit the bottom. And they would close the door. And this is where Tom Olson, Pastor Olson, comes into these houses and starts basically doing deliverance to them. Uh, these houses are built right next to the mounds. One of the more troubling ones is if that's the other descriptions that I just said isn't troubling enough. He went to one house and the table, the coffee table, is just levitating in the air. So these places are highly charged, lots of demonic activity. There was demon- In fact, that picture is up on the Coast website where Chief Joseph Riverwind was at the Great Circle Mound and calling everyone up to pray. And as people were doing this, all of a sudden what we call there was a manifestation. This woman was flung backwards, and you see her hair fly up. We actually have it on film. Someone, for whatever reason, was recording the, the whole scene with their cell phone and caught it on, on their cell phone and let me use it in the film. So we show that. I mean, you know, could she do that on her own? I, I guess so, yeah, maybe. But she's thrown violently upwards and back and lands basically on her back and on her head. So this, these places... Um, Why do they seem to be so paranormal? Then? Well, because, look, if, it, if it's Nephilim, which is the offspring of the fallen angels... Then, then those, those basically are the demons that, that, that roam on the planet. In other words, the Nephilim, the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim become the demons that roam the planet. How do I know mm. that? The Book of Enoch, found of a Dead Sea Scroll thousands of years ago, tell me that, which is incredible. And wasn't the Great Flood created to kill off the Nephilim? That's exactly what it did, and, and except for eight people, and everything was okay for a while. And then you get the Tower of Babel and Nimrod, and what happens with Nimrod, ritualistic sex magic, just like Aleister Crowley. See, it's, this is what's amazing. The, the deeper I go into this, the more I study it, there's parallels that, go, that reach right into modernity. Nothing has changed. It's just slightly altered. It's dressed up in new clothes, as it were. The abduction scenario is very similar to what happened thousands of years ago with the Nephilim. They're taking people. Sperm is taken. Ovum is taken. And hybrids are walking amongst us, just ask Dr. David Jacobs. But go back thousands of years ago, and the fallen angels are procreating or taking wives and creating their hybrids themselves, which was the reason for the flood. You will not let go of the story of the Nephilim. Tell me what drives you. I'll tell you what drives me. There is a hidden history. I mean, Graham Hancock talks about America before. Other authors, we all, you know, it, it doesn't matter what we necessarily believe on, on some level, okay? We, we, we can differ in our belief system. I could sit down with Giorgio Sukalos and we could have a conversation that would go on for hours. We have different worldviews. But we know, we all know this, something else is going on here. And it's a question, what, what paradigm really has answers for everything? I think that the biblical worldview answers the whole thing and puts a nice little bow around it. What drives me is that all this is hidden, much of it, in plain sight. Right. And that's why we're traveling all over the world, creating these films and, and showing them 
uh, not only to educate the public, but to show what's hidden in plain sight, what's been obfuscated and, and, and tucked away and kept away from not only the American people, but the people of the world. I want to throw something out to your listeners. Many of these sites, the Octagon Mound, the Circle Mound, Stonehenge, America Stonehenge, Stonehenge, England, um, Zambujaro in, in Portugal, I mean, I could go on. They're built on an 18-and-a-half-year lunar cycle, and archaeologists know this, and they'll just kind of throw that out. But here's the deal. When you go back to the Book of Enoch, there's this fallen angel by the name of Sario, and it says specifically that this fallen angel taught the course of the moon taught the lunar calendar. So let's go back 3,500 years ago, and you're a First Nation people. You're supposedly a Native American person who's about to build the Octagon Mound, which is built on an 18-and-a-half-year lunar cycle. In order to even know that it's an 18-and-a-half-year lunar cycle, someone or a group of people have to track the moon every single day. And here's, here's the problem, George. When you get up in the morning and you start doing this, you don't know, first of all, that it's an 18-and-a-half-year lunar cycle, and you could be jumping in in year 7, year 2, year 15. You'd have no idea where you were. And now that you're looking at the, the, different, the waxing and the waning of the moon, the different positions of it, how do, you, how do you take that data and put it down on something? On deer hide? See where I'm hmm. going with this? Yeah. And so this is like, in, in some cases... It, it's it's the heart of the matter, and I'm like a pit bull. I will not let go of this thing, because modern-day archaeologists say, oh, it's built on an 18-and-a-half-year lunar cycle. But the problem is, where did this come from? And we're looking at, in order to understand and, and, and plot an 18-and-a-half-year lunar cycle, in my opinion, calculus, trigonometry, you've got to have some way of looking at all this and then recording it. And you go back 3,000 years ago, and Native Americans didn't have this. So now we have a real conundrum. And what it does, L.A., is, is it backs up the Bible, the words of Genesis. And that, to me, is one of the most amazing you know, stories ever. And the fact that you're finding data and evidence that backs that up is remarkable. And that, that's what keeps me on the trail, because it validates the biblical prophetic narrative as being true. And it also validates First Nation people's oral traditions that talk about a race of red-haired, six-fingered, cannibalistic giants that roamed the Americas. And heck, we found the on Catalina. Ralph Gooden uncovered the thing. And it was, I believe, it was right around nine feet. We, we, you know, we looked at it and people said, what's well, nine foot two, nine foot three, eight foot nine. So it, it's hard because it's a picture. And, and the feet are sort of missing. They're kind of there, but not really, and the, and the legs are tucked up, yeah. but you're able to stretch that out, and it's just around nine feet. That's huge. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern, and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.